It is, it is good to be here with you all this morning. I love to have the opportunity to come to another, another church, another local body, and to see what God is doing in your midst. And it's evident to me here that the Spirit of God is here. There's a love that's in this place that can only be generated by the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to encourage you with that, that as someone stepping in from the outside, seeing what God is doing. It's evident that the Spirit of God is operating here in this place. So if you, if you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 10 with me. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Mark 10, verse 46. Mark writes these words. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, listen to these words, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. I'd like to talk to you this morning from the title, The Courage to See, Racism and the Good News. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning, Lord, knowing that we are only able to be in your presence because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. We have no righteousness of our own except that which comes from Jesus. So we stand here thankful this morning, thankful that we have a savior, Thank, thankful that we have an advocate, thankful that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. And so our prayer this morning, Lord, is that you would come and that you would scatter the seed of your word over this congregation. Lord, that as we hear your word preached, Lord, that it would land on good soil. That it would take root and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Lord, we wade into some difficult topics this morning, some things that might make us uncomfortable, things that might make us uneasy, Lord. But I pray that we would stay at the table. 
I pray that we would stay attentive, Lord, and that your spirit would minister to us in the midst of discomfort. Because you have something for us on the other side of that. So, Lord Jesus, be glorified in this place. Make your name great here. Be exalted. And, Lord, as I pray, would you let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength and our Redeemer in whom we trust. Pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. On August 9th, 2014, there was an incident that happened in the city of Ferguson, Missouri, where a young 18-year-old black man by the name of Michael Brown had an encounter with a white police officer by the name of Darren Wilson. And during that encounter, there are many stories of what took place there, but we know coming out of there that Michael Brown ended up killed. We know that Darren Wilson ended up with no indictment. And that there are many stories as to what actually took place. But I'm not here this morning to talk about the happenings of that day, of what happened that day. But the result of that, what took place in our nation because of that, was that the band-aid that had been put over the deep wound of racism that exists in our country had been ripped off. That it was evident that there was not deep healing that actually took place. And you could see it as you scroll down your Facebook news feed. You turn on the news. We see pictures like this. You go to the next slide. The National Guard deployed in the city of Ferguson. When you would look at pictures, you would think we were looking at the 1950s and the 1960s, not 2014. So we ask ourselves the question, why? What's really going on? Later in that year, on November 24th, it was the day that the country was waiting to see what was going to be the result, what was going to happen with the investigation into Michael Brown's death. And you saw black folks in this country really waiting to see, waiting to hear what the result would be. And when the result came out that there would be no indictment, there was great sorrow in the black community. But if you would look at the white community, there was great confusion as to why there was sorrow. There was great confusion as to why there might be pain. And if you zoom in, and you look at the church, 
you would see that the things that divided us were not just that we met in separate locations on Sunday morning because even still to this day, as Dr. King said, Sunday morning at 11 o'clock is still the most segregated hour of the week. But the things that divided us were not just that we met in different locations, but on that day you saw that we experienced very different realities. That, 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 that there was different worlds that people experienced, that people lived in from day to day, and that, that folks just did not understand one another. I think many of us walked away from that time and from the series of things that took place after that because after that you would hear names of people like Jordan Davis and John Crawford and Tamir Rice and Akai Gurley and Sandra Bland and all of these names after names after names after names of black folks who had run-ins with police officers who ended up dead and people asking the question why what's going on and so many people walk away from those incidents not questioning whether racism still exists or not but questioning what do we do now where do we go from here because it seems like we have taken 15 20 steps backward and so you might ask the question why open up with a passage about a blind man named Bartimaeus who meets Jesus on the Jericho Road? It's because I believe that we find ourselves like Bartimaeus. We find ourselves in the face of racial injustice, in the face of not knowing what to do, not knowing where to go, crying out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, Jesus. But when Jesus approaches us and he asks us, us the question, what do you want me to do for you? We often don't know how to respond because we don't actually know what we want Jesus to do. And so the question that I want to pose to you this morning, that as followers of Jesus, as people, as people who are called to stand against injustice in all of its forms, as people who are called to strive for unity as far as as much as it depends on you, strive for peace, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Bartimaeus answered Jesus by the simple request. Let me recover my sight. It seems like that would be a simple request for Bartimaeus, a blind man who had maybe been blind all of his life. But for Bartimaeus to go from a life of blindness, of not being able to see, to going to a life of seeing, that was an entirely different reality for him. It meant that his life had to change and shift in dramatic ways. And so this morning, I want to invite you to ask Jesus, let us recover our sight. That as we look into this thing called racism, 
as we hear what Jesus has to say about it, as we hear how the gospel has the power to transform it, may we ask Jesus to give us sight. Well, many of us are afraid to ask Jesus that because we don't know what we'll see when he opens our eyes. We're afraid of what we might actually see. We're afraid that what we might see might make us uncomfortable. It might unsettle us. We're afraid that what we might see might mess with our version of reality. We're afraid that what we might see might actually demand something of us to call us to live differently, to be differently, to relate to one another differently. And I believe that we're ultimately afraid that the gospel that we proclaim may not be big enough, may not be powerful enough, that the good news may not indeed be good enough to transform this thing that has kept us in bondage for so long. There's a woman by the name of Lisa Harper. She's a journalist and she's the author of a new book called The Very Good Gospel. And in her book, she talks about how some years ago, she went on a pilgrimage through the American South, through 10 states. And one of the things that they did on the midst of that pilgrimage was they walked the Cherokee Trail of Tears. And they visited some of the significant sites that, was, that were significant in slavery and in the civil rights movement. And she said that as she went to these different sites, as she walked the Cherokee Trail of Tears, she began to feel unsettled in herself because she wondered how her ancestors, her family, that if, the, if she would present them the gospel as she knew it, that Jesus had died for her sins and that she was uh, able to go to heaven to be with God, if she presented that to them, would that be good news to them in the midst of slavery? Would that be good news to them as they were being pressed off of their land? Was it good enough? See, I remember when I first had to ask myself that question. See, it was when I was going to school. I went to school in the University of Chicago and I lived on the south side of Chicago. I studied political science, my focus was international relations, and so in the midst of my studies, I'm studying things like uh, big wars, why wars take place, global poverty, the strategic logic of suicide terrorism. I'm studying basically about all of the brokenness in the world. On top of that, I'm living in Chicago, which if you know anything about Chicago, it's one of the most, if not the most, segregated city in the United States. It's very visible. If you would ride on the L train, you would see going from the north side to the south side, the demographic would just shift. And you would see it very clearly. You can see with your own eyes that the schools on the north side are flourishing while the schools on the south side are suffering. 
You can see the disparities and the brokenness everywhere in that city. And so I asked myself the question, Jesus, what do you have to say about this type of brokenness? Because I know this is not what you desire. I know this is not what you intend. Is the gospel good enough, big enough, powerful enough to address this kind of brokenness? So this morning, more than anything, I want to invite you to journey. I want to invite you to journey with Jesus. That as he comes to you and asks you, what do you want me to do for you? That you would have the courage to invite Jesus to say, open my eyes that I might see. That you might grab Jesus by the hand and walk with him Follow him into where he is going. We all know that discipleship is a journey. It's not a one-time event. And that on the journey of discipleship, there are several, many conversions, many, many times where Jesus opens your eyes to new things. And this is no different. He did it with his own disciples when he would say things like, we need to go through Samaria. Why do we need to go through Samaria, you 12 Jewish men? Because you have a problem with Samaritans. So we need to go through Samaria. There's also a woman that I need to encounter there. And you 12 Jewish men have an issue with women. So we need to encounter that too. See, Jesus is about stripping us of all of those things in order to make us into the people that he's calling us to be. Discipleship takes courage. Following Jesus takes courage because it means that we are probably going to be stripped of the identities that we have held on to for so long. Things that we may be blind to that we don't even realize identify us. So as we journey with Jesus this morning, we go back. We go back with Jesus all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 1. Where in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke the world into existence by the word of his power. And after he created everything, God, our triune God, looked over all of his creation. And he said these words. It's very good. It is very good. That phrase, very good, in the, he in the Hebrew is the word tov mechod. And that doesn't have to just do with goodness that is uh, something that in and of itself is just good. No, it has to do with the relationships that exist between things. The Hebrew concept of goodness has everything to do with the bonds that exist between things. So in other words, there was a good relationship. Literally, the word means forcefully good or powerfully good. That there was a forcefully good relationship between God and humanity. There was a forcefully good relationship between humanity and other humanity. 
There was forcefully good relationship between humanity and the rest of creation. There was forcefully good relationship with humanity and ourselves, our own individual selves. And there was a forcefully good relationship between humanity and all of the systems that governed us. That was the world that God created. That's what God looked at and called very good. A world where relationship was strong. Where, where there were strong bonds between everything. It's what, it's what the Hebrews, they, they would call the idea of shalom. We hear that word a lot. It's translated peace. But it has so much more to do. Get my uh, here. Has much more to do than with just the absence of hostility or conflict. But it means wholeness. Completeness. It means that every, everything and everyone is flourishing as it should be. It means that there is justice, that there is righteousness, that there is holiness. Shalom. That's what God's desire was. One author puts it this way. It says, the concept of shalom teaches us that we were created in relationship with God with ourselves, with each other, with the rest of creation, and with the systems that govern us. What it means to be one who lives under the reign of God is to be connected with a forceful bond of love in all these relationships. So if that's what God called good, what happened when sin entered into the world? See, when sin entered into the world, through our disobedience, through us saying to God, we know how to run your world better than you do. It was a severing of all of the very good relationships that God had set in place. And so the essence of sin is the severing of all very good, forcefully strong relationships. That's the essence of sin. That in our rebellion against God, the one who held all things together, as Paul says, that in Jesus all things are held together. Do you hear the relationship there? That all things are held together in that forceful bond of love in Jesus. But that when we took our seat on the throne, all of that was severed. And so our relationship with God was gone. Relationship with one another was gone. It's no coincidence that in Genesis 4, when you exit the garden, the first sin you see is murder. It's no coincidence. Brokenness. And it's the state of the world we live in. Broken, severed relationships. And so you might understand, you, you, you understand how racism fits into that picture. How it's a part of the broken relationships that exist among us. But you might be asking yourself the question, out of all of the broken relationships and out of all the injustice that we could talk about, why talk about race? Why talk about the injustice of racism? 
So I believe, I believe that following Jesus in America demands that we follow him into the dark heart of racial injustice. There are several theologians and ethicists who refer to racism as America's original sin. I'm going to take this point to remind us as we begin to talk about some things that our allegiance is not ultimately to a flag. Our allegiance is to the kingdom of God, which gives us freedom to look at the nation that we love and to say that it is not the kingdom of God to critique it as it should be critiqued. And to say, how are we as Jesus followers called to represent Jesus in the midst of a broken land? We are united in Jesus in this room. We come from different walks of life. There are different ethnicities presented in this room. But the beautiful thing about Jesus the beautiful thing about the gospel is that in Christ we can sit here as brothers and sisters. We can call one another family. Not because we have the same lineage or background, but because we have the same Jesus. So you need to understand that when America was founded, America was started, it was started with the pushing out of Native Americans from their land. It was started with the enslavement of Africans being ripped from their homeland. We need to wrestle with these things. And we need to wrestle with the fact that it was those who professed Jesus who called themselves Christians, many, many of whom are great followers of Jesus we have learned so much from over the years through reading and writing. This is one of the things that is present in our past. And that if we would move forward as the church into where I believe God is calling us to be, to be a people, as Micah 6.8 says, who do justice, who love mercy, and who walk humbly with our God. We have to do the hard work of dealing with the things that have shaped us. We might say that that wasn't us. That wasn't us. We didn't do that. That may be true. 
One of the things that we have struggled with as Westerners is that we have a very individualized version of following Jesus, that it's all about me and my personal relationship with Jesus. But if you read through the scriptures, it's a very corporate thing. That it's not about just my sin, it's about our sin. And so I stand here as someone who is part of the people of God. As a black man, and I say, I have to own that as well. Because I have been made part of the church through Jesus. And that my people, our people, have done things that we need to repent of. That we need to go a different way. We have to deal with the fact that we're not just talking, when we talk about racism, we're not just talking about the things in our hearts, prejudices that we may feel toward another brother or sister, and individualized racism, but racism also in, it, it, it infiltrates the systems that govern us. Because broken and fallen hearts create systems, create structures. And so when we think about sin, we have to think about the fact that when it invaded the world, it invaded all of it. It broke everything. The sin of racism has touched nearly every area of American life. And we've been living in it so long that many don't even realize that this is the air that we breathe. But those who experience the negative effects of it know full well that it is alive and it's real. But I didn't come here this morning just to give you a downer. Yes, that is the bad news. That is what sin has done in our world. That is what sin has done, particularly in our country. We have to deal with that, and that it has lasting impact. That when we look across the landscape of our country, it has lasting impact. We cannot get past that. But the gospel has something to say to that church. The gospel has something to speak to that. I'm reminded of Dr. Martin Luther King, who on April 3rd, the day before he was shot and killed, he stood up and he gave his famous, I have a, 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 I've been to the mountaintop speech, and he said these words, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, 
But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. What was that hope that he viewed? What was that promised land that he saw as he looked out from the horizon over that mountaintop? It is the same hope that is talked about in scripture where Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, where the prophets and the apostle Paul talk about new creation, that God is in the midst of the world making all things new. Jesus is doing something to transform all of this. We need to have a gospel that's big enough that the sin of racism does not frighten us. That it doesn't cause us to step back and withdraw. But we say that Jesus is powerful enough to transform it, to change it. You see, what happened, what happened is that Jesus, when he entered the world, he, he proclaimed, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Luke 4. He got up. He gave his mission statement. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, a recovery of sight to the blind. He has sent me to set the captives free, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of the Lord's favor. See, what Jesus was proclaiming there was that in him, what the Old Testament called Jubilee was coming to pass. See, Jubilee had everything to do with... Uh, in Israel, in the, in the Old Testament law, it was written that every seven years was supposed to be what was called a sabbatical year. That on that seventh year, the land was supposed to rest. Debts were supposed to be forgiven. Land was to be returned to its original owner. And that all of that was pointing to something called the year of Jubilee, which was every 50th year, where all of society would be reversed and set back in place so that there would be no more slaves that there would be no more people who were stuck in poverty that there would be no more people who were a permanent underclass of citizens so God set in place that in Israel there would be no one who was oppressed there would be no one who was cut off and cut out God set that in place now there's no record of Israel ever keeping that because we like to hold on to the power that we have. We don't like to rock the boat too much. But Jesus said that in me, Jubilee has come. That I'm setting everything back as it should be. That I'm restoring all of the relationships that have been broken. That's the mission that Jesus set out on. And so Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross. What happened on that cross? is that Jesus took on himself all of the sin of the world. He took on the hatred, he took on the violence, he took on the racism, he took on the sexism, he took on the classism and said, pour it out on me so that it can be done away with. So on the cross, Jesus put an end to it. And he made a way for us to be brought back into right relationship with the Father who created us. So through the cross, we have reconciliation with God, as Paul says. 
And that it didn't stop there, but that Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't stay dead. So on that third day, when he rose from the dead, the New Testament proclaims that in Jesus, new creation had begun. It was underway. It was already in process. That's why Jesus can stand up in Revelation and proclaim, Behold, I am making all things new. All things are being made new in Jesus. So as we see the end of the story, that Jesus is taking everything to new creation, we see the beginning of the story, that it was God's intention for everything to be in right relationship with each other. Then we ask ourselves the question, how do we live in the in-between? What is our role? What is our call to live in the in-between? And we come to a passage like 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Where Paul says these words, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, listen to this, gave us, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciled reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. What is reconciliation? It is the restoration of broken relationships. When I talk about restoration, when scripture is talking about reconciliation, it's got something in mind. So it's not just a going back to a time in our country where the races got along because I, I don't believe that that ever existed that there was never a time where we were truly reconciled to one another. But it's pointing back to that original creation where everything was existing in shalom, in right relationship. So when we were brought into right relationship with the Father through the Son, we were entrusted the ministry and the message of reconciliation to be people who go out into the world and who proclaim and to witness to the shalom of God. That's our call. So what that means is that we are people who lay our lives down in the broken places of the world, in the divides of the world. Just as Jesus stretched his body suspended between heaven and earth so that we might be brought back to God, we as followers of Jesus are called to lay our lives down in the broken divides of our world so that people can walk across us, our bodies, to be reconciled to one another. To be a follower of Jesus, you're to be a bridge person. Expect to be walked across. Expect to be walked on. Because we're called to be ministers of reconciliation. 
It is not enough for us to say that things have just gone past, they don't exist anymore, that racism isn't an issue anymore, because that's not the case. But what is the case is that in the face of racism, in the face of injustice, God has made a provision through his son by his people that we would be people who stand against that into the world. And by doing so, we witness to the lordship of Jesus Christ over all things. So when we stand against racism, we proclaim that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord in this divide. He is Lord over this broken space, and he's bringing healing. He's bringing restoration. He's bringing newness. So reconciliation is not just getting people together in the same room. It goes beyond that. Reconciliation means that we have to deal with the things that are going on underneath the surface. It means that we have to deal with injustice. There can be no reconciliation without justice. Too many of us like to bypass the justice part to get to the reconciliation part. We have to go through the hard work we have to go through the dealing with the injustices. We have to go through the repentance. We have to go through the hard stuff, through the cross work of reconciliation in order to see that happen, in order to see unity. Because if not, then we become like what Jeremiah calls false prophets who proclaim peace, peace, where there is no peace. We don't want to be that. We don't want to be those who proclaim peace where there's actually turmoil. So how do we get to know what is going on underneath the surface? This is where I believe the church is called to be the church. See, Paul calls us the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. So if we are the body, it means that we are joined together with one another, bound up with one another, so that blacks and whites and Latinos and Asians, we are all bound up together in Christ. As such, as such, Paul says that we are called to feel and share in the pain and the sorrow of one another. So it's no longer what they are going through or their issue, it's our issue. It's our pain, it's our sorrow. So when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. When one part of the body is in pain, we are all in pain. If we are going to move forward as the church of Jesus Christ, then we have to get past the us and them. We are a we, a we, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. The Apostle Paul says that in the cross, Jesus broke down the dividing wall of hostility that stood between Jew and Gentile and made in himself one new humanity. There's a new we. That's something that's radically different in the world. And so being that body, that new family, 
we have to take the time to listen to one another. That even when somebody tells a story, shares an experience, a point of view that is different from your own, do not check out. Instead, lean in. Be a person who is characterized by listening and compassion. Seek to know before you seek to write off. That's what we are called to be. That's a witness to Jesus. And so we do life together. We share in one another. But we also, we also fight with one another. As we fight the injustice in the world, we do it side by side. We do it side by side. So church, I understand that this is a hard word for us. Because there are things that, that, all sorts of things that come up when we talk about these things. But I want to encourage you, as I said in the prayer, to stay at the table. What Jesus has in store is worth it. Let love cover a multitude of sins. Be people who are pursuing peace in every area. And go on that journey with Jesus. It's a journey, church. It's a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. There are things that Jesus has to uncover in us, things that he has to open our eyes to in the world, ways that we have to sit and listen to our brothers and sisters. It's a journey. And so I want to encourage you to have the courage to go on the journey because our Lord has already won the victory. As we close, I want, to, I want us to just take a posture of prayer. Just take a posture of prayer. And as you're quieting your heart before the Lord, Letting the, the, the things that we've talked about ruminate in your heart a bit. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to simply respond to the work that Jesus is doing in your heart right now. You may be feeling some discomfort. You may be feeling like there are more questions than answers this morning, and that's okay. But what I want you to do, more than anything, is to be obedient to where Jesus is calling you. 
So I want to invite you this morning, if you've been sitting here and have been wrestling and you've been hearing things and God has been probing things in you, and you're a person who says, I don't know what it will look like, but I want to respond to the invitation to go on a journey with Jesus, to step in to the dark place that is racism, to be a person that myself am transformed and then become an agent of transformation in the world. If you want that, if you want to respond and say yes to Jesus, to be a person who follows him into this area, I want to invite you to stand this morning. I want you to look around. Look around this room. This church as a collective has said we want to journey. To go to the place wherever Jesus is leading us, whatever that might look like. So know that this is not just you, but they're your brothers and sisters who are standing shoulder to shoulder with you, who are saying, let's walk together, because Jesus is worth it. And so you also hold one another accountable. You hold one another accountable. You challenge one another. You press into one another. You listen to this Holy Spirit. So I want to pray for you this morning, and then we'll be done. Father, I thank you for the renewed community, for this church who you have called together. Lord, you are doing something special here. I believe you are raising up a community to be beacons of justice, hope, reconciliation, and restoration. And Lord, I pray that it will begin right here in this room with these people, that they would seek even in this community to be reconciled to one another that they would listen to the stories that are present in this room. That any of the things that would keep them from entering in, Lord, would you break down the walls? Break down the walls. And Lord, this is part of the process of making us look more like you. So do the work, Jesus. By your Holy Spirit, fill this people with courage. Empower them by your spirit. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me see that. Drew, thanks again for having the courage to speak this message to us this morning. And I thought we would kind of close our time just with some Q&A. Um, 
I get the sense that many of us are sitting here thinking, what do I do with this? What are some practical things? And so we'll give you all just a few minutes to kind of think about some of the questions that you may have. I have one to start. And, uh, I just wanted to make a confession. I'm a terrible introductory guy. Uh, I just get lost in things. But uh, Drew is a pastor in Bethlehem uh, at, a, at a church called Graceway. And him and Pastor Jim have been really trying to live this picture of reconciliation out uh, within the community up there. So can you tell us, both of you, tell us a bit about that community and what that journey has been like for you all? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's been quite a journey. Uh, we moved back here from Los Angeles about that, two years ago at this point. And, um, entered into doing life with the grace way um, and it's been it's been quite a journey so pastor jim is a white pastor i myself am a black pastor and looking around we recognize that that's not common that we don't see that often and so we said what would it look like to really enter into that and so much of it has been entering into it with one another entering into the stories of one another um, and speaking into one another's lives and really trying to live that out before the body and inviting them into that, allowing them to ask questions and, you know, be confused and all of those things. And, and so it's been, a real, it's been a real journey for us uh, together. And mind you that the community that we're in is um, predominantly a Latino community. And the church is, has been predominantly a white church. So there's also navigating, okay, what does it look like for this church to be in this community? What are the barriers, the walls, the things that we have to navigate? The humility that we have to, to take, that posture. Uh, so there's been a lot of good conversation and a hard conversation happening. Um, but God has really been doing a work in us over these past two years, and I'm thankful for If you want to add anything to that. Yeah, I would just say that um, most of the folks in the church had come from church backgrounds. Um, that were more regional, you go and you pick a church that you like because of the preaching and it, and you know, people will travel anywhere from five minutes to forty minutes away um, to be there. And that Graceway actually changed its name um, about two years in from Graceway Baptist Church to Graceway Community Church, and wanted to figure out how to be intentional about being a church in a particular place and um, really structuring their lives around um, being people who were for this community, um, which I think goes hand in hand with the conversation because um, it was really recognizing a lot of people's own um, fear, I think is a huge part of it. Um, just not knowing how long it's been, just a relatively impoverished community, um, mostly Latino and Black, um, very few white faces indigenous to the community, um, and just a lot of, um, on the surface, um, not really feeling like it'd be easy to connect and not really knowing what to do with it, and, and, um, and so even just folks being intentional about where they choose to live and what they um, where they choose to engage in sort of activities and how they sort of bring their kids along with them in ministry. Um, and all of this is just like how do we intentionally live our lives 
um, with a change of purpose and not for um, what sort of works and what's convenient um, for our family. And then we do this Jesus thing. Um, and it's been really transformative, I think, on the whole. And I think this whole conversation is just, you know, what does it look like for our lives to be characterized as people who are intentionally pursuing Jesus, pursuing the kingdom of God um, as our first priority and um, really coming to grips with what that means and just, you know, a lot of um, loss of comfort and stepping into unfamiliar places and being willing to embrace unfamiliar people. Um, so it's definitely um, been a journey of Yeah, great. Um, so one of the things um, that, first of all, you guys are speaking on like that how do we embody the church in the community in which we live? I mean, that's that's why we do house churches because we want to embody the church where we live, where we're located. And that's a really, really fun. It's a really fun thing. It's also a really hard thing because you have to open up your eyes and see uh, and notice things. So, what have been some of the obstacles that you all have come in contact with as you've been trying to recognize? the elephant within the room talking about racism. Um, and I, I get the sense that sometimes it can be a really difficult conversation to have. So what are some just practical ways that you all have been able to help your church and help those in the community enter into the conversation? Yeah. Um, so I, I think starting with us as a church, it's really, it was really, uh, and we're still, I mean, we have a long way to go. We, we still are journeying through this as a church. But it was, so much of it was one, really going to the scriptures and seeing God's heart in the scriptures for, for justice, seeing his heart for reconciliation and letting that hit us to say, do we have that heart? So it was really uh, going there first, but then it was stories. So um, we, we started to hear one another's stories. And Janae and I were really intentional about just inviting people into our story, asking us questions, um, just telling them and being straight up. And, and, and I said to, like I said to Jim when we first started, I said, Jim, I'm going to offend you. You are going to offend me. Let's get that out of the way, right out of the gate. Let's be okay with it and move past it. Because we, because we have a bond in Jesus, let's, let's be okay with that. And um, so we were able to embrace that and, uh, I've said some things that he's gone, ah. he said things that I've gone, uh, and we were able to move through that um, because there's a love there. And uh, I, I think that modeling that for the church and inviting the church into that has been a huge thing. Um, and then another thing that we started to do was um, so much of the church, because they were regional, because they would drive into the community, never actually spent time in the community. So one of the things that we started to do was just say, we're just gonna walk. We're gonna get out of our cars, we're gonna walk, we're gonna pray in the streets, we're gonna talk to people, and um, let, let, let the people start, stop becoming an idea to you and put faces and stories and voices. And, and, and so we're still doing that as a part of immersing ourselves in a place, not going with a, a message of, we've got something to give you, you need to listen to us, but going in and saying, we need to listen. We need to be still. We need to hear in this place and know that we are guests here, right? We're guests. So we're not coming to tell you what you all need. And we believe that Jesus is already at work in this community. So we're coming to join Jesus in what Jesus is already doing. 
So there's so much of a posture of humility and letting the community tell their own story. Yeah. Yeah. What, what would you say for, for you all, um, what's something that you've uncovered as you've been walking and praying that you were just amazed, like just surprised and shocked to um, I don't know. I, well, one of the, one of the uh, families that was walking around and hadn't really spent time in the community, but started to walk through and started to interact with some people and um, um, really started to see uh, Latino culture as they're going through. And they were immediately just welcomed, immediately welcomed in. There was a guy that met them out on the street, asked them, hey, what are you doing? And they said, oh, we're from the church. We're just walking around, getting to the community. He said, let me show you around. And so he was their tour guide through the streets. He's their tour guide, brought them back to his house, said, you know, we're, we've got some, some food in here if you want food. And it was just, it was just hospitality. And one of them said, uh, uh, one of the people from our church said, man, these people know how to do neighboring well. They know how to do the love your neighbor thing well. And it's so hard for us living in the suburbs where we're in our isolated lives and our homes where we don't interact with people. We can choose really not to interact with people. But there's just community here that doesn't need to be taught. And I think that was huge for them to see. That it's like, wow, we've got, we've got some stuff to learn just by being here. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's really obvious, like, walking around and then you can see brokenness, you can see poverty, really, in our community Um, you know, that's one example of ways which has been really fun to see um, people in our church see more than that um, when they've gone out and they've actually interacted with people and they've seen um, people who have aspirations for their community and people who are loving on the children in their community well. And um, yeah, people who are neighborly and hospitable and, you know, all of these things and just realizing that like people are people, um, and that, you know, the skin that we're in, I think it's so intentional, and it's part of the beauty and creativity of God, and, and there's purpose in it, and so, you know, not proposing any sort of colorblindness, it's like, it's, it's beautiful, but how do we engage with it in a way that we learn from one another and affirm one another, um, and so I think that's been really, really neat for people to realize, like, yeah, there are people are really different with a lot of experiences that I can't necessarily relate to, and yet, um, you know, once you actually start talking to people, there's, um, there's so much commonality in just our humanity um, that's really beautiful, and I think people have surprised themselves, yeah. and, and surprised themselves with how much Jesus they've encountered there, too, um, and I think it's just been really neat when we look at the story of Jesus and who he chooses to reveal himself to, it's, it's, it's always in those places, those least expected places yeah. to the people that you and Jesus himself, right? Um, and just the picture of who he is. And so I think just painting that picture and then having um, our church go out and, and do that um, has, been, has been really neat. And, yeah. you know, we've chosen to move in um, to the neighborhood and, and um, you know, so to have people in our homes who, like, like after dark, <laughs> um, you know, where those things were um, just people yeah. had expressed fear about things and this and that, and it just... Um, you know, be forced into that and, and to be like, yeah, there's just a lot more um, Jesus and just humanity there than I think people have been able to see before.
And I think that to add one thing to that, just to say that people have also come into contact with the hard stories of the community in a different way. And, um, you know, encountering people who, people who, people who love Jesus and people who are hardworking, having to make the choice between, do I buy food or do I keep my electricity on? Why? Why is that so? And having to wrestle with that or having to wrestle with uh, young teenage boys who literally are doing nothing, get pulled off of their front stoop, surrounded by eight police officers, made, told to, be, to strip down on the sidewalk, accused of doing something, 40 minutes later saying, oh, it wasn't you, and walking away without an apology. And, and recognizing that that's regular life. He's, this boy said, that, that stuff kind of happens to me all the time. Why? And so wrestling through those things. Yeah, and, and knowing that these things are true, but having an idea, like already having the story made up in your mind about who these people are and why they're the predicament they're in, um, as just a general thing, and then meeting people and hearing those stories, and um, just seeing a level of compassion amongst the people in our church, and even in ourselves, just grow tremendously as we just encounter people as a really awesome. We are coming pretty close to time. Um, thank you for coming and sharing. Thank you for connecting racism to the gospel. Not just seeing talk about justice, but seeing justice as part of Shalom, as part of the old creation and the new creation which Jesus is calling us to, which he reconciled on the cross, and that we get a chance to live into that. Uh, closing thought, what are like one or two practical things you can challenge this community to do? I would say, um, man, one of the one thing that you can do is just to take a step in, and I didn't go too much into this during the sermon, but I would I would challenge you to really look, just really engage with history, but do it from a perspective from a different perspective. So seek to listen to the, to the narratives and the stories of African Americans, of Native Americans who are telling history from their perspective. How would it sound different? Engage with that, let that, and, and, and I would say on top of that, engage with the stories of the people who are here. Um, be intentional. Uh, have courage, ask questions, have the courage to share your story, I would say too. A lot of us, there's fear in that of not knowing what people might think, how, how it might come off, but have the courage to, to share the things that you've experienced and um, you know, have, a, have a grace there with one another and, and let that be a path forward, that this is a church that is a safe space for that. So that when people come in, there's a, there's a hospitality where they feel that I'm safe to be me. I'm safe to share my story, knowing that I won't be shut off, knowing that I won't be judged for it, but I'll be welcomed in. And let the stories that are in this place kind of transform this place. Yeah, and I would say, um, I don't know how many of you are with me, but I'm very much a fixer, and I hear um, that there's brokenness and that there's trouble, and that there's work for God's people to do, and I just want to go do stuff, and I'm looking yeah. for the next thing yeah. to do, yeah. and it's, um, 
been very much a journey for me with Jesus of um, being still and just learning the person of the Holy Spirit and um, discerning um, what it looks like, just being intentional about each step and each day. And um, so, yeah, I would also um, just encourage um, some time with the Holy Spirit this week, um, whether specific to what you heard today or, or maybe just as a practice um, for life. Um, and just, just, um, be sort of training yourself um, to just hear, to hear the, the still small voice and, and to, to be obedient. Yeah, that's great. I'm a fixer as well. And so living in that tension can be really, really difficult. Thank you for challenging us. I think that is something that we need to continue to work towards being a safe place where we actually need gospel big enough to break down all kinds of barriers. Um, can I pray for you too? Jesus, I'm so thankful for Drew and Janae and for their marriage and for the team that they are, for the ways in which you gifted them and called them. Lord, thank you for the message that Drew had for Renew this morning. God, I ask that you would help us to hear it well, that you would help us not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So, Lord, thank you for your presence. Uh, we bless them. We bless their children. Uh, give them incredible wisdom and incredible amounts of sleep uh, as, they, as they father two beautiful little girls, as they mother two beautiful little girls. And, Lord, may you continue to guide their path. Uh, we pray for the grace way this morning. We thank you for that community. And, Jesus, may you continue to open up their eyes as they're seeing you in all the different places and spaces. God, may that encourage us to get out of our cars so we can Thank you guys.